Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a Bible study podcast dedicated to just looking at the scriptures as they unfold in the Bible. And right now, we are looking at Psalm 139. So if you have your Bible or you're where you can get one easily, then take a moment and get there. Turn to Psalm 139, that wonderful chapter of 24 verses. As you are doing that, the theme of this particular chapter has to do with the closeness and the nearness of our God to you. And that is also the subject of my book, Always Near. I have been intrigued with the truths about the presence of God around us for many, many years. And a great spiritual discipline is practicing the presence of God. So finally, after having studied this subject a great deal and having tracked down various stories about people who learned to practice the presence of God, I wrote this book, Always Near. It was published by HarperCollins with a beautiful, colorful cover. It's got a presentation page. It's got a ribbon to mark your reading. And it's a wonderful book to give to somebody else as well as just to enjoy for yourself. So the subject is Practicing the Presence of God. The title of the book is Always Near, and it's available wherever you get books as well as at robertjmorgan.com. One of the writers that I follow is Joel Rosenberg, who is an expert on what's happening in the Middle East, both in Israel and in the Islamic world. He tells a story he researched, and which I believe, of two Christians who were driving a car full of Bibles down a mountain in a remote area of Iran. It was a distant, bleak Iranian location. The steering wheel of their car suddenly jammed, and they had to bring their car to a stop. Suddenly, an old man was knocking on their car windows, asking where the books were. The two men in the car were confused and asked what books the old man wanted, and he told them that he wanted the books about Jesus. They began talking to the old fellow and learned that an angel or some such person had recently appeared to him in a dream or in a vision and had shared the story about Jesus. And the old man later discovered that everyone else in his village had experienced the very same dream. And they had all believed in Jesus as much as they could, but they needed more information. And that's when, according to Rosenberg, the old man had another dream in which he was told to walk down the mountain and to stand beside the road because somebody would bring him books about Jesus. The fellow did so. And so here came the supply Bibles in a car that came to a sudden stop in the road when the steering wheel jammed. And the Bibles happened to be in the very language spoken by the villagers. 
Well, one of the reasons I believe this story is because there are so many similar reports coming from so many different sources about God speaking to Muslims through dreams. But there's another reason why I tend to believe this story, and that is the two men in the car were discovering for themselves a biblical truth that wherever we go, the Lord Jesus is already there. Now think of this, wherever you go, the Lord Jesus is already there. He has gone there ahead of you. He goes before us geographically. He goes before us in terms of time. He goes before us in terms of work. He is everywhere. And even if we go to the ends of the earth, we'll find that he has been there all along. Well, that's the wonderful message of the second paragraph of Psalm 139. This podcast series is a study through that psalm, as I said. In the first episode, we looked at the overarching nature of Psalm 139. I said Psalm 139 tells us that our powerful God is also very personal, and our personal God is also very powerful. He is both limitless and He is loving. He is infinite and he is intimate. He is the one who knows you best, and he is the one who loves you most. His universal attributes intersect with your personal situations on a constant basis. His divine traits converge with our daily trials, and he knows how to take care of us. No one ever cares for us like Jesus. Well, that's the great theme of Psalm 139. The 24 verses of this psalm divide into four different parts, and the first six verses are the ones we looked at last time. They talk about God's omniscience and you, his omniscience and me. God knows everything, and he knows everything about you and me. And as I said, the one who knows us best loves us the most. So let me read those verses from the Living Bible just to review. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit or stand, when far away you know my every thought. You chart the path ahead of me and tell me where to stop and rest. Every moment you know where I am. You know what I'm going to say before I even say it. You both proceed and follow me and place your hand of blessings on my head. This is too glorious, too wonderful to believe. Well, now today we're coming to the second paragraph, which has to do with God's omnipresence and you. The first paragraph was about his omniscience, the fact that God knows everything and you and me. The second paragraph is about God's omnipresence and you and me. God is everywhere, and we can never be anywhere in which he is absent. So let me read these verses now, and you can follow along. I'm reading in this particular podcast series from the Living Bible and referring to more substantial translations as we get into the verses. But listen to verses 7 through 12. I can never be lost to your spirit. I can never get away from my God. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the place of the dead, you are there. If I ride the morning winds to the furthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me, your strength will support me. If I try to hide in the darkness, the night becomes light around me, for even darkness cannot hide from God. 
To you the night shines as bright as the day. Darkness and light are both alike to you. Well, there you have that wonderful paragraph. So let's just take it one line after the next. It begins by saying, I can never be lost to your spirit. Verse 7, and in the English Standard Version, it says, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? These are rhetorical questions because the answer is nowhere. But there are two aspects to this. There may be many infinite aspects to all of this, but when it comes to the quality of God's nearness and his pervasiveness, his geographical pervasiveness or his pervasiveness through both time and space, his omnipresence, there are two clear dimensions to this. J. Scott Duvall and J. Daniel Hayes in their book entitled God's Relational Presence the cohesive center of biblical theology, make a point that I'd never really considered before, at least in terms of the way that they put it. They point out that there is a difference. Now, get this. There is a difference between God's omnipresence and God's presence. We often use the prefix omni to describe some of God's attributes. The word omni means all. And so his omnipresence is his presence everywhere in all places. But Duval and Hayes say there is a difference between God's presence and his omnipresence. In my own thinking, I'd more or less considered those terms as synonymous. God's presence is everywhere, and so he is omnipresent. But let me quote to you from these two scholars. They said, there is an important distinction between God's presence and his omnipresence. The Old Testament, for example, certainly does affirm God's omnipresence. But on the other hand, Moses does not remove his sandals and fearfully hide his face in front of every bush he encounters in the wilderness. There was something spectacularly special and unique about that particular bush in Exodus 3 because God was present there in a very intense way in that flaming bush. They go on to say, likewise, while God's omnipresence fills all the mountains of the world, the one in Exodus 19 is quite different. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. In other words, they're saying there are two aspects to God's manifestation in the universe. There is his essential presence, which fills heaven and earth, and there is his relational or personal presence, which brings him close to us so that we can know him and draw near to him and live in his nearness through grace. In terms of his essential presence or his omnipresence, God's essence fills the seen and the unseen realms and beyond. King Solomon said, Behold the heaven, and the highest heavens cannot contain you. One of the most important verses in all of the Bible on this subject is Jeremiah 23, verses 23 and 24. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in the secret places so that, not, so that I do, cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth, 
declares the Lord. Now that last phrase, do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. The Lord tells us that he fills the heaven and the earth. Here, heaven probably refers to the invisible realm of which we know only a little, only what the Bible tells us. It's invisible to us at this present moment. It's the world of angelic beings and heavenly hosts, and it's the world of the new Jerusalem. The seen realm, or the visible realm, on the other hand, is our current physical world and universe. God fills both heaven and earth, both the seen and the unseen realm. Stephen Charnock, in his massive book about God, said, By filling heaven and earth is meant, therefore, of filling it with his essence. No place can be imagined that is deprived of the presence of God, and therefore, when the Scripture anywhere speaks of the presence of God, it joins heaven and earth together. Well, this is a great mystery to me, and I don't understand all there is about it. It has to do with the incorporality of God. God is not in a material body, but rather he is spiritual. God is spirit, and his spirit fills heaven and earth, the unseen and the seen realms. That is God's omnipresence or his essential presence that fills all reality. But Jeremiah 23 also talks about God's personal presence, his relational presence. Jeremiah said he is a God who is nearby. Going back to Duvall and Hayes, they would say the relational presence of God represents the underlying theme of Scripture. They begin their book like this. They wrote, Our basic thesis is that the triune God desires to have a personal encountering relationship with his people, and he enters into his creation in order to facilitate that relationship. Thus, the Bible begins with God's presence relating to his people in the garden in Genesis and ends with God's presence relating to his people in the garden in Revelation. They wrote, this holy, intense, powerful presence of God appears to Moses in the burning bush and on Mount Sinai, and then enters into the tabernacle and later into the temple so that God can dwell among his people. Indeed, the presence of God dwelling among his people is foundational to his covenant with them. They went on to say, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, appears. His incarnation brings to a climax the relational presence of God. In the book of Acts, after Jesus' ascension, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within each believer, just as the holy presence of God dwelt in the tabernacle or temple. They wrote, the entire story culminates at the end of Revelation, where the presence of God is once again in Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, and in the garden relating to his people. This mega theme drives the biblical story, unquote. Well, to the psalmist in Psalm 139, this is all very wonderful. So this is, all of this is contained in verse 7, when he says, I can never be lost to your spirit. I can never get away from my God. In my book that I referred to earlier, Always Near, in one chapter I wrote about the famous evangelist Dwight L. Moody. What was the secret of his power? At his memorial service in 1899, 
a friend got up and said about Moody, he walked with God and so did not have to turn out of his way to speak to him. He said, I've been driving with him in the carriage off on some retired road about Northfield. We would be talking together when suddenly he would pause for a moment and speak to God just as naturally as he would speak to a friend. Well, I believe that's what the psalmist meant when he said, I can never be lost to your spirit. I can never get away from my God. The next phrase, Psalm 139 and verse 8 says, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. Well, we can take this in two ways. Perhaps David was thinking, if I travel as far as I can see, which is into the realm of the stars, you will still be there with me. I don't know if David had that in mind, but it certainly comes to our minds in these days when people, even tourists, are going into space. Perhaps you know that when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin became the first two men to walk on the moon, they did something secretly, something very special, moments before they stepped out of that lunar module. Buzz Aldrin unpacked a little package of bread and wine that had been prepared by his church. And before stepping out of their spacecraft onto the moon, Buzz read from John 15, and he took the cup and the wine, and the first food ever consumed on the moon were the elements of the Lord's Supper, even on the barren surface of the moon, which no human footprints had ever before touched until that day, the Lord was already there, present, and waiting on them. But perhaps when David said, if I go up to heaven, you are there, he had in mind his eternal home. In Psalm 23, he had said, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He knew that when he died, while his spirit would wing upward, his body would be entombed in the earth until the resurrection day. And so he went on to say in that verse, if I go down to the place of the dead, you are there. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the place of the dead, you are there. The Hebrew word that David used, Sheol, is a word that was common for the afterlife in Old Testament thinking. In other words, the presence and the omnipresence of God, those realities were a tremendous comfort to David when he thought about both living and dying. When at the end of his earthly life, the Lord would take him. His fellowship with God would continue on because God was already on the other side of the tomb, on the other side of death. This is the same point the Apostle Paul made when he talked about being absent from the body and present with the Lord. According to Paul, who had more biblical and revelatory knowledge and who lived and taught after the resurrection of Christ, knew so much more about it than David did, to Paul, leaving this world as a Christian, tremendously enhanced his awareness and enjoyment of God's presence. Absent from the body, present with the Lord, he said it would be far better to go and to be with Jesus. So David simply summed it up like this. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the realm of the dead, you are there. And then verses 9 and 10 go on to say, If I ride the morning winds to the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me, your strength will support me. Your hand will guide me, your strength will support me. 
King David was probably imagining being able to be airborne like a bird, flying on the winds that blew from the east and which could have taken him as far as anyone could imagine over the endless uh, Mediterranean Ocean or what to what at least to David seemed like the endless seas. It was the Mediterranean that formed Israel's western border, and David was very familiar with that coastline. He must have gotten in the ocean the way a lot of us uh, do when we're at the beach. And he could have imagined being a bird and flying on the wings of the wind, but he said, no matter how far I go, you are there as well. What David could only imagine vaguely, we now do on a regular basis. We ride in these vessels in the sky, sometimes to the ends of the earth. Well, verse 9 and 10 say, more literally, If I ride the morning winds to the furthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me, your strength will support me. What a wonderful thought that is, that wherever you go, it is never so far that you will not find the hand of God guiding you and the strength of God supporting you. Author Laura Thomas is a noted Christian fiction writer and a wife and a mother, and she grew up in the United Kingdom. But her father brought her whole family as immigrants to Canada. And later, writing about it, Laura Thomas said, We immigrated from the UK to Canada, which is now unbelievably 25 years ago a new life and a new country on a new continent. My dad gave us these verses, Psalm 139, verses 9 and 10, as we ventured off chasing our dream on the far side of the sea with our toddler in tow and many unknowns ahead of us. She wrote, And even a quarter century after the fact, when I read these words in Psalm 139, verses 9 and 10, I still feel a flutter of butterflies in my belly. They evoke memories of our courageous days and how we trusted God completely to provide a job and a home and a community for us to embrace. And he did. Of course he did. He is always faithful. And then she said, I didn't realize it at the time, but this verse brought the sweetest comfort on both sides of the Atlantic to us as we journeyed into our brand new life and to our families as they bid us farewell. It was not only reassuring for us to remember that God was with us and would be our guide always, but it also gave tremendous peace to the family we left behind, knowing our Heavenly Father would be watching over us even as we are out of their sight. Travel is not an issue, she said, for the omnipresent one. And then let me give you one more sentence. As parents, she said now, of three grown kids in their 20s who have all moved away to follow their dreams, I appreciate these verses afresh knowing that God sees them, guides them, and loves them. Well, as I read Laura's testimony about this, I really felt a little frustrated, a little bit cheated, that I had not also learned those verses in childhood. I've found them since then. But what a blessing for every child to memorize and to take into life with them the powerfully reassuring words of Psalm 139, verses 9 and 10. In the English Standard Version, they say, If I take the winds of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, 
even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Well, let's finish this paragraph with verses 11 and 12. The psalmist said, If I try to hide in the darkness, the night becomes light about me. For even darkness cannot hide from God. To you, the night shines as bright as the day. Darkness and light are both alike to you. The word hide in the Hebrew is actually the word bruise or overwhelm. If the darkness tries to bruise me or to overwhelm me, if I am overwhelmed in darkness in any way, when God steps into the picture, the night becomes light around me. Rick Hamlin is a great devotional writer who served for many years as executive director of Guideposts. I've written quite a bit of what he has written. He said that a number of years ago, he ended up in the hospital for two weeks with a mysterious lung infection, and this was long before COVID. The doctors were baffled, and his hospital room was filled with specialists of all kinds. Rick was having great difficulty in breathing. It was hard to answer all their questions between gulps of air, and he became very frightened and discouraged. He wrote, but the one thing I remember as I drifted in and out of a fitful sleep was my 25-year-old son, Timothy, reading the words of a psalm by my bedside. He said, Timothy left the second week, heading to South, uh, to South Africa for 10 months of mission work. Fortunately, I came home at the end of that week, my fever gone and my lungs able to function again on their own and my energy returning. The doctors still couldn't give me a diagnosis, but that was all right. They kept me alive, I told friends, and the prayers healed me. But he said, I still wondered and thought about that prayer by my bedside. Had it even happened? I emailed my son, Tim. Did you read a psalm to me in the hospital? Yes, Dad, he replied. It seems that the words that had lodged in Rick's mind, even as he tossed and turned in delirium and suffering, were these. Even the darkness is not dark to thee. The night is as bright as the day, for the darkness is as light with thee. From Psalm 139. There are times when the darkness can overwhelm us, whether it's literal darkness or whether it's the darkness of sickness or loneliness or depression or fear or whatever it is. But God's presence is with us. His omnipresence is all around us. And even the night becomes as bright as the day. It's really summed up in a verse that David knew very well from another section of the scripture. He was a great student of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And there at the end of Deuteronomy, there was a famous verse given to Joshua, which as it's put in the Old King James Version says, Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God is he that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Well, David took that reality and he 
wove it into this beautiful stanza from Psalm 139, the presence, the omnipresence of God all around us, with us, within us, wherever we go, whether it's high or low or forward or backward, wherever we are geographically in time or in life, the Lord is there near us, and we simply need to practice his presence. Well, we're halfway through Psalm 139 now, and we've learned something about both how the omniscience and the omnipresence of God intersects with our lives. Next week, we'll look at God's omnipotence, his limitless power and might, as we go on with our study and look at verses 13 through 18. And in the meantime, check out this book that is a corollary it's ancillary to this very subject. It's called Always Near. There will be some real practical helps there for you as you learn to practice the presence and to appreciate the omnipresence of our wonderful God. Thank you for listening very much to this Bible study, and I hope you will share it with others. It is produced by Joshua Rowe and the marketing company Clearly Media. Video editing is by Courtney Warner. Print editing is by Sherry Anderson and Luke Tyler. And this podcast is also posted regularly as a blog at robertjmorgan.com by Luke Tyler. Music is by Elijah Rowe. Thank you for joining me, everyone, and may God be with you until we meet again.